Hello, friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty. I'm here with my co-hosts, Daniel Quinn and Courtney Staples. On today's episode, we continue to fuck up history in our second part of an entirely steam-based world where Carthage and Rome, oh boy, there's you should really go back and listen to that first episode because there's a lot. This is an alternative history. Normally, with like fake worlds and stuff, I feel like you can maybe get by on the second episode. This one, you will, you'll be quite lost. So definitely go check out part one. And a big thanks to our listener, Kaiser, for suggesting this particular prompt. And remember that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com. And you can click on a link and submit a prompt to us where we will build your world within a reasonable amount of time. If you want to follow us on social media, you can go to our Twitter at Let's World Build. You can join our Discord community on the link in the description. Or if you're feeling particularly generous or you just want those sweet, sweet patron-only episodes, you can go to our Patreon and give us money there with a link for that also in the description. Enough shilling. We're going to get back into the second part of the episode now. Before we even do that, I do want to clarify things because... As a history nerd, I, I do love history. Ancient history is something that I know very little about, unfortunately. More than more than some, but not most, I would say. But in, in last week's episode, I need to clarify some things, and I'm going to provide a timeline to make sure that this all comes together uh, a little bit easier. Now, some misconceptions to get out of the way first. Uh, apparently... Ancient Carthaginians actually did sacrifice their children, mm-hmm. which I find to be really interesting. There were a couple of articles that I read that while this was originally thought to be racist propaganda on the part of the Romans, it turned out to actually be true. And there is some more historical context that makes it so it's not just as as an obviously evil act. It, it, uh, according to the historical documents that I've read or the modernized versions to, to try and give it context, it seems to be mostly done in a highly religious ritual. And what I think is also rather interesting is the Romans looked at it, not even necessarily with derision and like criticism, but mostly as an oddity that the Carthaginians would do something like this. So I wanted to get that out of the way. Uh, I think that we can also link that to what we're talking about or what's going on in the setting as well. But I'm going to hold off on that for now because, my God, there's more stuff. The second thing that I wanted to get into today was I'm going to provide a slight timeline to help kind of ease those who actually care about that type of stuff. And again, I think it will actually help clarify everything within the context of the setting. Now, in the original episode, we had stated that the rise of the steam engine had kind of come out even before the Punic Wars. However, what I would like to addend to that concept, because I think we can make it work with, um, I think Daniel or Courtney had mentioned that the Carthaginians were the ones behind the early eruption mm-hmm. of uh, Vesuvius, right? Right, yes. Uh-huh. Okay, so what we're going to do is for the sake of the timeline and my sanity, there are, there is a period in the Second Punic War where 
the allies of Rome who are in southern Italy actually defect and move over to the Carthaginian side uh, and join Hannibal. There are three battles of Nola, which is a uh, it's a fort city that's near modern day Naples. And what I would love to do is during this triple siege of Nola by Hannibal and the Italian defectors, we can make it so that is basically a smokescreen and the Carthaginians then, they, they use that as a distraction to go to very nearby Pompeii and Mount Vesuvius, and then bam, there we go, which means that Vesuvius erupts around the time of the Second Punic War, which is about 212 BC-ish, if my brain is remembering correctly. But I think that by adding that context and having something that we can you know, like the Carthaginians are there for a reason and they actually do this purposefully. I think that's a really interesting way that we can kind of tie everything together and use history as a through line that actually has it make sense. That is where I'm going to end it because whew, that's that's a lot of nerd talking, even for me. Uh, what do you all think about these kind of changes and, and referendums that I'm adding here to what we've got going on? So are you basically saying that it just happened sooner, I guess, to the present than what we imagined before? Correct. Okay. I think that by looking at the timeline and seeing how these things just so they just synced up really well, like mm-hmm. yeah. having Carthage be near Pompeii during the Second Punic War just works out better. And the idea that that is also where, you know, like if, if they're stomping around Rome and that's where they find the Alapile for the first time. And then that's how they become obsessed with it and develop a steam engine. I think that just helps make everything come together and make more sense for everything. And that way we have a defined time period that we can say, like, this is the fracture point where things completely mm-hmm. changed, you know? That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for doing the research to make us look yes. less silly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And also I've, I've kind of, there's some other things I'm going to bring up later once I add in the faction uh, that I find to be really interesting. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more, but we have a twist to get to. And the twist that we rolled last time was everything, you know, is wrong. And Courtney, I would love to hear (laughs) how you figured out how to cope with that twist. Yeah. I, I honestly was not a fan of this twist. Uh, <laughs> just because I, I agree, I really liked the the story that we had going, and I didn't want to like mess with it too much. Um, so I was considering that Carthage being responsible for those volcanic eruptions was actually a rumor that they just ended up partially embracing because it made them look more powerful mm. and more intimidating to other groups. So we could either oh. leave the true cause as an unknown. Or I was thinking, take a somewhat mythological route and say that the seismic activity was due to the island of Atlantis taking action to avoid being submerged into the ocean. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, So so Daniel and I are on opposite ends of the spectrum because the last (laughs) thing that I want to add to this is Atlantis in the mythological aspect here. Here's, Here's a number of reasons why. Mm-hmm. Number one, we've had an Atlantis in recent uh, settings that we've done in more ways than one. Mm-hmm. Number two, it goes against the core tenets of the setting itself, which are 
very grounded in reality for the most part, right? Like we've had this fracture point, but for all intents and purposes, we've tried to do it as much justice from a realistic standpoint as mm-hmm. possible. And I think that adding goddamn magic well, really goes against I'm about against to add the... magic with my faction, but I do agree with you, <laughs> R.E., the point of um, this being historical um, fiction. So I yeah. get not wanting to have straight up Atlantis. Maybe a reference to it would be acceptable. I mean, I wasn't picturing it as like mythological in that, you know, they called down the gods from the heavens and had them like do something to right. fix their island. It's more so like kind of taking taking the rumors of Atlantis, the supposed history there, and making that like an actual part of the the world. And maybe they were the ones who like created some device that triggered volcanic activity mm. on their end. So like rumor too, basically, is the idea. Yeah. I find the idea of leaving the early eruption of Vesuvius to be a mystery far more compelling than to attributing it to Atlantis. Mm -hmm. That is a personal direction. Now, this is actually something that I'd like to talk about briefly because there is this idea that each of us as world builders, as podcasters, as hosts and as friends have a very, very different headcanon of what each of our settings look like. Now, Daniel has run one-shot games in settings that we have done for the podcast before, and they look entirely different compared to what they look like in my head. And I want to say that that's okay for everyone involved, right? I want to make sure that just because I'm expressing my opinion, that doesn't necessarily make it official canon in the world. I want to put that out there. So if you agree with me or disagree with me, that's fine. In fact, we encourage you to tell us your versions of these settings as we build them, because hearing your ideas is also really fun and interesting for us as podcast creators and stuff like that. I mean, it's also a good thing to talk about like how a writer's room would work, right? So like, yeah. that's all true what you said, but then at the same time, we're we're taking the role of three of us being in a writer's room, right? So we have to come to a consensus about what it is that we're building. So yes. like, as far as this initial question is concerned, like, I I mean, I think what she what she's talking about is pretty, but right. I get it in that if the goal of this particular version of the setting is we're trying to make like historical, um, right? Not, not historical, an alternate history, basically. And we're trying to um, kind of keep ourselves as close to what the the suggestions were from the mm-hmm. the patron that makes sense too um in the mm-hmm. sense of like keeping it further from bringing the mythological the fantasy into the world uh physically and literally and more so keeping it you know in a, in a metaphorical sense yeah i think that's important to to point out as well that we do have to come to some conclusion about how this world works right mm-hmm. um and and what i find interesting is this is the fracture point of history. And that to me is enticing and interesting and creative enough for me to like really want to sink my teeth into it. Now, if Daniel during his faction wants to add magic, as he is alluded <laughs> to, that's entirely fine as well. We have to find a medium between all of these points that we're all happy with. Of course, it doesn't mean that we're all going to be the happiest version of what we want. That doesn't fucking matter. That's not what this is about. It's about coming together and creating a cool, interesting world, which I think 
we're doing very successfully so far. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, now get that fucking magic shit out of my alt history. <laughs> God damn it. It's coming. You just wait. <laughs> <laughs> to clarify though, I, I am okay leaving it as an unknown. The, uh, the Atlantis thing was more like if we wanted to have something there, um, right. or maybe that's like, maybe that's what Carthage thought happened or. Is there a Carthage version in their religion or mythology that hints at something like an Atlantis? Not necessarily a hidden um island or something but in because they have some interesting gods right like is there something in their mythology that we could point to that would be interesting like in atlantis i did not do enough research into their religion even though i probably should have considering that they are viewed as in a contemporary context religious zealots like the originally like carthage was a phoenician like, vaguely babylonian or something like that like derived uh, from that it's Phoenician. So it's yeah. it's a Phoenician colony originally. And the way that I've seen histor- historians kind of contextualize it is that consider them to be like the pilgrims where the Phoenicians saw them as too, too religious, basically. And were like, all right, you can go make your own colony over there in, in Tunisia. Well, modern day Tunisia, you know, like just keep your religious shit away from us, basically, you know. Um, but but again, I, I should have done more re- religious uh, research, but I, I did not, unfortunately. Oh, their gods are Baal, Astarte, and Melkart. Melkart. Melkart, yeah. Baal and Astarte, Baal. I think. Astarte, there we go. That sounds yeah. way better. Yeah. <laughs> That's the Phoenician gods. Um, yeah, Baal, I know I know Baal, and I, but, but the thing is, like, when you evoke those names in like uh Bale, uh, in kind of a historical context they're they're like the bad guys very often and i think that uh-huh. the historical kind of lens that we should view them as is a lot more neutral than what we're oh yeah yeah well i mean the only reason why you would think of them as bad guys is because of video games like to me they're just three cool sounding gods i don't really know them from video yeah. games yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah but but that's the thing is that the way that we view history is often through culture. And so, for, for example, right, like if if you look at a culture now and they're like, oh, their main God was Satan because we've been conditioned. Right. Like we would look at that. Well, well, not we, but like the general population. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The general population would look at that and be like, oh, they must have been terrible people. Right. But that's the thing is that we have to be careful about how we view history through the lens of culture. It seems like just from skimming this, like there's some overlap with Babylonian and Egyptian mythology, yeah. I guess, because yeah. Babylon or the Babylonians ruled them at a certain point, the Phoenicians. And some of the gods have some overlap with Egyptian ones. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised by that. I mean, yeah. uh, in, in, the, in the fiction that we made last time, uh, Carthage had created like a super league with Egypt. So having like a mix of uh, Carthaginian and Egyptian gods, like having like a mixed pantheon might be kind of interesting to kind of mess around. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, Daniel, what, how did you reconcile with the twist? Exactly. Everything you know is wrong. Tell us what you think about that. 
Is it alien? I mean, obviously, I just said aliens. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Obviously. <laughs> honestly, no, um, I mean, honestly, the twist, it was aliens, would have probably made this prompt a little bit easier to deal with. Let's be <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was going to say, like Courtney, I wasn't super interested in disrupting the status quo. Um, I felt like it had something to do with the understanding of the secret, you know, that the secret in some way was wrong. So like Courtney said, mm-hmm. with the, maybe um, the, Car- how do you say, Carthaginians? Is that how you say mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Yep. Maybe the Carthaginians really weren't responsible in the way that we thought they were. I also thought of flipping the script on other um, factions. So like maybe the Roman terrorists know something that we don't and they're not actually... They're, they're bad, but they're not actually doing something that's bad in the grand mm-hmm. scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't really have something very specific, but I thought it shouldn't upend the whole premise because I feel like this will be less interesting than... Because you already have a secret that's interesting, and now you're going to like complicate that even further. It's almost like right. making a twist for no reason. Mm-hmm. You know? it's, it's a twist for a twist's sake, and as anyone who's mm-hmm. seen modern M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> movies will tell you, that's not always the best idea. I see it more as a wrinkle <laughs> in this setting. Sure. I, I, I would agree with that. I think that we, we're allowed to uh, make the twist as big or as small of a part of the setting as we wish to. But I, I, for, for my kind of reconciliation with the twist, I was actually more in line with Courtney in that I like the, I, I'm actually super on board with this idea that it's not actually the Carthaginians who are at fault, but it, that mm-hmm. is rather the propaganda that they use as a tool to kind of uh, wield power within the region. I think that that concept is really, really cool and something that I'm really interested in kind of exploring. Mm-hmm. I say that because I, I'm pivoting into my faction now, which is I, in my research, I was looking up uh, kind of... Let me let me also be fairly frank here. There is not as much information on that era of African history as you would expect, uh, or or as I would hope. Rather, let me yeah. let me put it that way. I was I was really disappointed too when I started to look for books and things on it. It's like wow, there's there's just so little about this period. Yeah, there's scant information yeah. about that era in that region, and so. I, I kind of had to deal with the limited information that we had. And so I decided to look at, let's look at the future and let's look at this time period in and of itself. And I look to the Berbers who are a, uh, a sort of multi-ethnic kind of large tribe that have, that were around during that time period. And they are mentioned multiple times. And then they eventually become uh you know, a, a larger part of the historical context. But for what I'm talking about here and now, I really want to take the Berbers and turn them into a confederacy of like, this is a united tribe of some of the most elite horsemen, cavalry units that the world has ever known during that time period. I also look at them, especially how Carthage treated them. And this is kind of the historical context that I missed last episode that I want to introduce here. And how terribly Carthage treated the Berbers. They essentially treated them as uh, sharecroppers and as a second class. And according to some historical documents, they basically uh, required tribute of them that was cruel and, and harsh even for that time period. 
which is why the Berbers themselves uh, throughout history are known to essentially always be in a state of revolution. I think when we introduce this idea of like constant cold and a world where Vesuvius has gone off to an extent that has changed everything, I would like to take the Berbers and turn them into the good guys, TMCR, fighting against an oppressive, propped up Carthaginian pan-Egyptian league. I want them to be the thorn in the side of this massive empire. Maybe we can look at them and say they're the ones who are trying to expose the truth. But also, I love the idea of the Berbers on horseback leading raids against Carthaginian trains. That to me is like a really cool kind of uh, visual that I would like to evoke by introducing this faction. Who, um, are there any historical leaders that we could um, visualize? So there's actually two that I had in mind. And again, there's a reason that I kind of brought it back to the second Punic War is because during that time there is, um, hold on, I need to look up the names again because they have cool names and I want to make sure that we get this right. Um, Syfax is one of them. That's the, I want to put that out there because goddamn, that's a Ooh, dope name. That's, that's, dope. that's pretty cool. That sounds like a, a dragon Isn't name. Isn't that a dope yeah. name? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's cool. All right. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm down with having a, an identifiable good guy faction in the sense the people who are strong enough to fight against the empire. I, I thought so. I think the idea that they, they're a constant thorn in the side of Carthage's machinations, whatever they may mm-hmm. be. I think that's an interesting... Like writers of Rohan? Yeah, kind <laughs> of, right? Yeah. So, all right. So the, the, there are two leaders here. Uh, one is King Syfax or... or it's kind of it's kind of weird because they're often called chieftains, but they're also called kings in certain cases. So we have Syfax on one, who is uh, a king of a large Numidian kingdom, and he is he ends up um, allying himself with. Uh, you know what? I'm just gonna fuck it up and get it wrong. Syfax aligns himself with the Carthaginians, and uh, there's another uh, Berber king known as Masinissa, who allies himself with uh, who would be known to be called Scipio Africanus, who is the the Romans, right? Mm. So even the Berbers amongst themselves are kind of in this weird, they're at odds with one another. But between these two, I like the idea that one of them essentially dies during the Second Punic War, and that it leads to some kind of coalescence of the Berbers as a larger group. Because that, to me, like the idea that they're kind of um, less centralized compared to the rest of that region is interesting. And I'd like to try and like make that more of a thing, if you know what I mean. It's like thematically parallel to a really unified front that Carthage, Carthage represents, at least in the story. Yeah. Okay. Yes, exactly. Um, and again, and like you, like you said, Daniel, the idea that we have like demonstrable good guys is kind of an mm-hmm. interesting thing. And that that's where I wanted to go. That's, that's, I know that again, 
for some of you, this is like, I did not sign up for like fake history class, but to me, but it's like, the meat. It's like the meat and potatoes yeah, of the yeah. setting. Like you have to have that in order to add weird cults or evil assassin factions or whatever other garbage, you know, like the merchant mm-hmm. cult group, you know, all that stuff. Yes. I, I would agree with you, but some others would not, but I, I just <laughs> want to put that out there because I think this is really interesting, but th- that's it. My, my voice is dry from all the explanation. For the love of God, someone else talk. <laughs> um, I also pulled a little bit of inspiration from kind of an existing group of people uh, looking at the Bedouin nomadic groups that mm-hmm. sort oh. of go around the Sahara or in that vicinity. And I was thinking that since we established last time that the Sahara, or a portion of it at least, has been turned into like glass and obsidian. It's a sleek surface. Was thinking, what about land sailing as a as a way to get around? Mm. Um, and I had also kind of half joked about train robberies, and was thinking, fuck it, why not? Why not actually go with it and make like pirates of the glass sea, who basically yes. roam around on these land sailing vessels and scope mm-hmm. out the trains um, to steal from. And and to branch out from there too, you could also have like traveling merchants and entertainers who take a similar approach with land sailing, but instead travel to like oasis train stations and sell their goods, perform all mm. of that. Now, I think that um, Pirates of the Glass Sea is the Pirates of the Dark Water sequel that we never got, <laughs> and I'm mm. I'm totally here to support that. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just like that visually. Like I can definitely picture that. Yeah. Always, whatever I'm picturing, I don't know if that's <laughs> accurate, but I'm picturing something. <laughs> Only question question I have is, so I'm thinking of them in context compared to um, Rob's Berber Berbers, right? Berbers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. They're um, nomadic and I assume disparate groups, right? As opposed mm-hmm. to say mm-hmm. the Berbers who are kind of coming together previously being more more disparate, right? Is that right. fair to say? Yeah. yeah. So one is deliberately disparate. The other one is unifying against a, a greater enemy. Yeah, I, yes. I did picture it as like a kind of fully nomadic, disparate um, collection of people. And they each maybe... Potential allies to the Berbers. Yeah, yeah. Um, like each mm. sub-tribe could have their own way of doing things even. Yeah. I think I, Why not, right? Like, why mm. not go with that? I think that there is some potential for um for our groups to kind of be in not necessarily in league or alliance but at Mm. least look at one another and be like you don't fuck with me i don't fuck with you cool all right yeah Yeah, gotcha um because the the berber kingdom that i'm looking at uh i mean at least potentially what what we can do is move it into morocco Mm -hmm. which is famously known for like caravan travel and trade and stuff like that so if you wanted to mix those up i'm sure that we could uh, but I, I don't know how clumsy would we would be necessarily with like kind of moving that around. But we're already taking a huge dump <laughs> on history anyway, That's so it's true. like <laughs> start all have a, a romance between the two. Oh, you can have like a uh, there's like two raiding parties going in yes. the opposite directions. They catch each other's eye. And yes, like, you you murdered mm. a bunch of Carthaginians too, huh? I see you. You know, like <laughs> game recognize game. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, And yeah, like I could see um, the the more organized Berber faction maybe using 
these people as like mercenaries or something to do scouting in that region where Carthage has all their steam steam engine trains. Yeah, I, I could see that as well. That's kind of an interesting way to approach it, mm. or or not even necessarily in a military sense, but like use them as a way to do legitimate business or even to mm. pass messages. You know, as a way of communicating with one yeah. another or, yeah. or other groups and stuff like that. Be like, hey. Uh, our friend brought you a message and then, you know, a Bedouin uh, person drops off the message and then that's it. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask, um, we, there's a technology focus in this setting as well, right? Like the, we haven't really talked much about steam besides the great highway we're building across Africa. Um, do these, <laughs> what, what technology um, do these factions have, at least from a, a made up point of view that makes them interesting? Mm-hmm. Um, I was picturing like obviously heavy use of harnessing the winds that occur mm. and probably some sort of wheel crafting or like ski type situation going on. Though I could also see like potentially there are maybe like geothermal vents that they use to sort of power particular settlements or if they've captured some technology from Carthage that they then bring back and, and use for their own devices. Cool. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. It's like, because I, I feel like mm-hmm. when you make factions too, if you have like little accoutrements that they have, then you can picture mm-hmm. them even even more easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think I did not have this originally in mind, but I think there is, I, I'm of two minds when it comes to the Berbers. Number one, they can either have individualized, you know, you have the, the manual, uh, the manual train car, right? That you hand pump to get along the tracks. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that they either have a smaller like version of that that allows them to raid trains easier or uh, the Berbers are just really, really good at sabotaging train tracks. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I'm not entirely sure which direction I want to go, uh, but that's mm-hmm. that's the kind of the concept that I have in mind. So they're like horse riding Han Solo, Indiana Jones types, basically. Repeat that. They're like horse riding Han Solo slash Indiana Jones types. I, I, I yeah, more Indiana Jones than Han Solo. Yeah. Okay. All right. Just the just the whole bunch of Harrison Fords on horseback. Just tons. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I also had in mind more like spaghetti westerns as well. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Mm. So Daniel, you have been skirting around your faction. I would like for you to add a little magic to this setting by telling us what it is. So I'm going to start with my ancient astronauts. No. Um, <laughs> so I was looking inward to Carthage and thinking about um, what their the heart of their control looks like behind their government. And so I, then I was trying to read a little bit about um, the mythological origins of, of Carthage. And I was reading about Dido and Alyssa, mm-hmm. Dido slash Alyssa, mm-hmm. um, as being someone who uh escape from from tyre i believe it is and um Mm -hmm. you know these are the phoenicians and she was said to have founded carthage through some cleverness involving claiming land that she technically didn't have claim to with an ox um skin by slicing it up and then placing it around the parameters of the land she could claim because she was given um only that that ox skin to make her claim to the land. Mm-hmm. So it told me that their original leader was both clever and um, had some foresight, um, at mm. least mythologically. So I thought, okay, maybe um, there's this Phoenician cult within um, Carthage that puppets the oligarchical government 
um, and that they derive some kind of prophetic power from fire, um, only because Dido is said to have burned herself alive. Um, mm. So I'm thinking maybe you'd have this sort of Game of Thrones-y situation where these Phoenician cultists um, use prophecy to manipulate um, the the oligarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not their magic is real, you know, is, is up to the up for debate. Um, but I'm thinking of calling them the cult of Karthadash, which apparently is um, how you say um, Carthage's original name. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there is the idea, of course, that we're always mispronouncing ancient names like that's a given. So, yeah, let's get out the, that out of the way. Also, the idea that we can kind of have like a a really religious aspect that we haven't touched in Carthage mm-hmm. and have them be kind of this cabal of like seers and stuff like that. I love that concept, Daniel. Yeah, I, I I thought I was going to hate your faction, and I'm totally down <laughs> with it. So that's good. I mean, it could also be like connected to the device that we came up with earlier, like whether they mm-hmm. operate it or whether mm-hmm. they oversee it, and that that's part of where the source of their power comes from, too. Political power. Mm-hmm. I think that I would. I mean, to keep in line with my anti magic stance with this particular setting, I like the idea that they are essentially cult leaders, and they can always kind of hand wave away what they get wrong in their predictions. You know, I think that's always the the interesting thing because that's the idea with like modern psychics and modern cult leaders. I mean, like how many times has QAnon moved the the goalposts, you know, for (laughs) Mm -hmm. years and years and years and people are still fervently devoted. So I imagine that, you know, we're in an era where information is far harder to kind of, spread and stuff like that mm. that this is much easier to ke- kind of keep in mind and control i had a, a roman counterpart to this too um i just don't know if it's adding too much i don't think so well once you've evoked the name you have to say <laughs> yeah, it. You so have it's to, like you have to do it now yeah well because i was thinking like okay that's that's this cult inside of carthage but what about carthage's greatest nemesis that's now like a weakened terrorist faction and I was reading about, um, I was, I asked myself, well, okay, if, if we don't have the Roman empire as it was, um, how, how would they change religion in terms of their religion being a shattered Republic or pre-Republic because the Romans, um, derived, you know, a lot of their mythology from Greek mythology and then mm-hmm. earlier than that, like Egyptian mythology. And they were famous for like, a, you know, conquering someplace and then amalgamating their religion into their mm-hmm. own. So I thought, well, I was reading about apparently there was um, this, like the second king of Rome was named King Numa Pompilius, who had this advisor um, who was who was believed to be like a nymph or some kind of divine being. And she was responsible for keeping these like mythical books that are Roman laws and natural um laws about roman society that were buried with this king and eventually they were dug up and then burned <laughs> they're <these> sacred laws <laughs> mm-hmm. um, her name was Igeria, i think so i was thinking well, what if these roman terrorists you know in having their empire shattered decided to do the reverse of of having kind of a syncretic approach to religion like they deliberately want to shrug off all of the religions they've adopted all the greek mm-hmm. mythology mm-hmm. and go back mm-hmm. to their roots and so their religion um, harkens back now to whatever the earliest versions of the Roman gods were, um, you know, detached from, if that's even possible, from Greek mythology. So they become kind of like really, um, what's the word for it? Um, resistant to outside foreign influence mm-hmm. and looking inward to themselves. 
No, I like that a lot. And yeah, it does kind of solidify them more as this like nationalistic, purist, mm-hmm. zealous group. Mm. And would you imagine that they're they're kind of using that religion as similar in a way to um Carthage as far as like having a seer or some yeah. sort of religious advisor? Okay. Like maybe like they have like an Egeria who they claim is the reborn Egeria, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To lead them. And so she's yeah. like part of their inner cult. So they've got like I wanted to have like an opposition between the Carthage's cult and this one's cult. Mm-hmm. May I may I interject a little bit here? Uh can we say so when when were those books found, uh, dug up and burned, Daniel? Do you know? Like, was it shortly um, was, after the founding of Rome, or? It, I when I, if I'm trying to remember, it was like five or six hundred. Well, when this was the whole year a bit was like six hundred or five hundred BC, but then it said like five hundred years later. So I'm not sure what the timeline is for that. I just know it was before um, where we are in the timeline currently. Well, let's let's say for the sake of ease here. That for all intents and purposes, this group is now trying to find those locks, lost codices in an attempt yes. to rebirth Rome, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like they were said to be destroyed, but they actually weren't. And says she believes they still exist. Yeah. yeah. Or or they believe that it's still like maybe the time period lines up so they haven't been dug up again. Yeah, yet. that would be that'd And be so better. they believe mm-hmm. that once they find these, you know, to them, they're essentially magic, right? They're mm-hmm. divine tomes. Once they find them and read them again, Rome will be rebuilt whole yes. again mm-hmm. as oh like God. a shining kind of empire, right? Yeah. yeah. I love it. That's the mythology that they've built up and that's kind of the zealotry that they've instilled. So now they're like, mm-hmm. they're hardened. They they believe yes. in this so much and it's like, we're going to rebuild Rome. God damn it. You know? Love it. Yeah. And that also explains more of like why they didn't leave that area after the explosions. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Since, I mean, the kind of the most obvious thing to do would probably be leave the area, go somewhere else to found a new settlement. Um, but instead they stuck around because they knew that they had all this history that they wanted to recover to use to to bring them back to their former greatness. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, I, I think that's a really cool way that we can kind of incorporate it all together. You know? Here. I've got your dates for you. So Numa Pompilius was like six, 700 BC. Yeah. And they say 500 years after he died, they were dug up. So where does that put us? So that, well, you said 600 BC. So 500 would yeah. be a hundred BC. So a hundred BC is. About, oh, so it's pretty close, right? Yeah. That's what I mean. Like this yes. actually works out. It's like, mm-hmm. realistically, our, our setting is roughly yes. around. I mean, the pivot point that we kind of landed on was like 200 BC, but we can mm-hmm. even go to 10 years before these books are allegedly found again. And then bam, that's where our setting is, you know, like a line. Yeah. He died 673. So I, you're right. I think it'll work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I think we can, well, I mean, we can make it work. I mean, realistically yes. speaking. So <laughs> I just, I like this because it's almost like it's, it's similar to in sci-fi where you have to kind of fit yourself around the rules of physics, right? If you want to mm-hmm. play a hard sci-fi and this, we're kind of fitting ourselves around the rules of existing history. It's the same kind of, genre principle right mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. where and the idea that we're kind of playing with it is obviously much different here but i think that by using the timeline as an anchor we can kind of keep it rooted in yeah. reality and, and make the differences that much more interesting and fun you know it's cool mm-hmm. that's all i got again this is, mm-hmm. this is why i gave so much lip service to the timeline <laughs> in the very beginning of the episode but anyway well 
I think that we have knocked out the faction. We've knocked out the twist. Uh, what do we have left to do? Uh, the, the, the quest, I suppose? Yeah, the quest. All right. Mm. Yeah, let's get into that. Ideas for the quest that are not Romano-centric. Daniel, start us off. Oh boy. I mean, what if we go back to that whole uh, <laughs> Berber Bedouin romance? <laughs> sure, as silly as I'm it okay is, we can expand it. No. Honestly, honestly, we don't do enough romances in this. Yeah. Podcast. It, it can involve trains, you know? Yeah. Like, I have a yeah, Carthaginian Bedouin romance. Oh, yeah. Somebody from Carthage is on a train that gets robbed by this group. Oh, love triangle. We got it. <laughs> Yes, and the yes. person's buddy is a, a Berber who's like <laughs> ha- traveling with them because they've made friends on the a dangerous road. You know. Yeah. Okay, there we go. So we've got a Berber, Carthage, and Bedouin like love triangle. <laughs> yeah. This is oh they they grew up together and so but they're not like related. So the Berber and the um and the the Bedouin like one of them loves the other one but they don't know that. So when they meet the Carthaginian and that one falls in love with the Carthaginian, he's like has to stay silent because he he or she really cares about the other one but can't impinge. Otherwise, it'll be revealed that oh we weren't just best friends all along but we loved each other. There you go. I was going to say, this is going to get really weird if they're all related, Daniel. But <laughs> right, right. Good. That's what I was careful about. <laughs> yeah, thank you for yeah, clarifying yeah. that this is not incest. Okay. <laughs> yeah, look, that's an entirely different podcast that you yourself will have to found and then talk about. That's not what I'm into. Regardless, right? Let's take this. So what is the quest exactly here? Is this something that brings these three? Part- so it starts out with a train robbery. Let's start there. Mm-hmm. And then can we then take that concept and pivot towards a different adventure that forces the three, these three people to be in close contact and then change the world in some way? Because that's where I would like to go with this. I, I'm immediately, of course, thinking of I know the you 1999 The of Mummy course, movie. The, the instant <laughs> movie. classic the... Mummy with Brendan Fraser. Yes, yes. I mean. yes. It doesn't age very well, admittedly, considering how much I love that movie, but I am more than willing to cut it. It's fucking great. It's mm-hmm. great. It's such a fun movie. I agree. Okay, so the Carthaginian is a young prophetess of the Phoenician cult. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. That will get us close to the geothermal death doom machine, at least. <laughs> so what would what would force them all to be in like a close knit thing? I brought up the mummy because I'm thinking like, oh, do they have to go on some like archaeological expedition together to figure out some clues to the past that they can? The Roman terrorists blow up a train that that two of them are <laughs> traveling on that the uh, prophetess has been secreted into to be transported, and so mm-hmm. she's now stuck with them. Okay. The Romans are act are actually looking for the prophetess. That's what's uh, yes. happening. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So, so now we can add in like the Romans are basically Nazis in this particular <laughs> setting. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Is it they're just trying to like get get the prophetess away from these Nazis? There's got to be something else that's driving them towards the same point. Mm-hmm. Where did you say they were going, Courtney? Originally, oh, like like some sort of archaeological thing, like trying to find clues. Oh, okay. Hold on, hold on. Idea for that. Ide- immediate mm-hmm. idea for that. The priestess, the the seer, 
has seen where the codex is buried. Oh, yes, mm-hmm. that's perfect. And that's so they've had that vision and they're, and now Carthage has actually made it uh, and they're going to go out, find it and burn it mm-hmm. as history said, to make sure that yes. Rome doesn't rise again. It's fucking yes. amazing. And, and they put the priestess on the train to get her farther away from the Roman terrorists, not mm-hmm. knowing that they had already infiltrated and were going to blow things up. Yes, there we go. Yeah. Okay, nailed Man, it. Man, this is a Netflix series <laughs> all fucking ready. And, and now, and now, of course, it is the purpose of the uh, Bedouin and the Berber to get to escort this year yeah. to ensure the fall of the death of Rome, essentially. And, right? and obviously, they fall in love during this journey. Yes. All three of them. Yeah, yes. all yeah. three of them with each other. Yeah. I, look, I'm cool with a polyamorous relationship. Yeah, here. I mean, like, I'm I'm totally okay with this as a concept. I just want to uh-huh. toss that out there. Okay. And obviously, if you're going to run this as a one-shot, you now have it. So you have the three characters who are fated to fall in love with each other. Mm-hmm. You can even throw in a Jonathan character who's just kind of there for comedic effect or, <laughs> you know, whatever. Maybe he becomes the unlikely hero who saves the day, like mm-hmm. in The Mummy 2, which is not nearly as good as the 1999 no, no, no. Mummy, but still. I mean, it's perfect. I mean, what, mm-hmm. what what else can we talk about here? It's got action. It's got love. It's got, like, you know, like a thruple. Like, what else? It's got... <laughs> roman nazis like what else can we do here like come on i mean we hit all the bases yeah yeah and like you could set it up with the one shot to have each person like take an archetype kind of role Uh and and make characters around that absolutely yeah oh sounds like another osr setting i gotta work on exactly exactly. (laughs) i'm gonna need your help on this one though because i'm pretty sure i'm gonna get all the history stuff wrong (laughs) honestly you're you're probably better off that way just just (laughs) well remember as as i said in the last episode uh, all history is false, but we must believe it to be true. So I'll end up subbing all the Roman stuff with what I know about Romulans. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know honestly, you could probably sci-fi switch this and it would, per- yeah. it would work totally. No, it fine. would totally work. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That is where we're going to call this episode. We're not going to do better than that. Like that's <laughs> such a perfect adventure. Like I'm so on board with this. So with that being said, uh, if you want us to build your world, you can go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, click the link, submit a prompt, and we will build your world within a reasonable amount of time, as long as it's not creepy or gross. If you want to follow us on social media, we're on Twitter over at Let's World Build, or you can come join our Discord community and chat with us about what we got historically wrong within this setting, because, oh boy, there's a lot of it. Like all of it, yeah. Like all of it. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Alternatively, if you wanted to be incredibly generous, or if you just want the patron-only episodes, you can go give us money over on Patreon with a link for that and the Discord in the description of this very episode. That will do it for this episode of World Build With Us. Remember that we love you very much, and we're going to get through this together until next week. Bye.